that what we're going to be looking through today, as Danny mentioned, is Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can definitely go ahead and uh, open that up. You have your phones and maybe you have your Bible on there. You can go ahead and scroll to Nehemiah chapter 6, verses again. Uh, we're going to look at really verses 1 through 17. So Nehemiah chapter 6, and it's all about finishing strong. And we're in the last week of uh, what's been a, a, a great series. It's a four-week series on how to build, how to change the world in 52 days. And so if you haven't been around or, you know, you just need to be sped up a little bit or you're, you're like me and you kind of forget what you, you know, what, what was taught last week a little bit, you know, um, or you, you know, you just need a little refresher. Nehemiah, again, was this man who lived about 800 miles away from Jerusalem where the people of, of, of Israel were uh, in captivity, okay, and their walls were broken down. And we discussed how the walls were significant because without the walls, their security was gone. Right. And so we looked at their security being gone. Not only was their security that allowed not only wild animals and so forth to come on in and to do whatever they want in the community, in the in the town, but also allowed for their enemies to come on in any time they want to to, again, go ahead and abuse and to use the people. And so this was a very serious security threat, not only a security thing, but it was we said an embarrassment to the people. Right. Here they are serving the true God, but yet they're in ruins. Their city, their wall is in ruins. And so this was an embarrassment to the people. And so uh, Nehemiah's brother goes over and travels to, to Nehemiah, who again was not in Jerusalem, but 800 miles away serving as a cupbearer. And his brother comes over and he asks him, hey, so what's going on? How's things back home? And the brother tells him what? Things aren't good. The walls are down. Our people are in shame. The, the, uh, we are in captivity. It is just not good. And so we saw that Nehemiah had a burden. And so Nehemiah takes this and he thinks and he prays and a couple of days passes and he begins to have burden so strongly for the people. And he comes to the conclusion that if anyone's going to do something about this, why not me? All right. And so we're looking at this story of Nehemiah and how God gave him a divine burden. And what we're getting to today is the kind of the good part of the story. All right. How many of you like movies or a really good book? Now, all movies and a good book, right, have kind of the same elements. You have this character that we all can identify with. Nehemiah, this praying man. Nehemiah, this strong man of God who has a divine passion. So we kind of can link, we can, we can hold on to Nehemiah. We can say, yeah, that's someone that I want to relate to. I want to be someone who has a passion, who's driven, who, who's engaged, who knows where God is calling, who has a specific purpose. And then you have in these good stories, you always have these enemies, these bad people, right? The bad guys. And we met some of our bad guys last week. Okay, we're going to look at them. They're going to come back again. But things are going to get a little bit tricky this week, all right, because now it's going to get nasty. How many of you guys like that part of the movie where things kind of get nasty, where, where now the murder plot is there, or, and the twist, and the nasty lies, and the rumors, and, 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 and evil schemes kind of creep in? We're going to look at that today, as Nehemiah is going to be right at the, right at the finish line of, of completing his task, but it's not quite done yet. And so we're going to look at that today. I want to dig in right in with you guys. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 says, When the word came to Samblat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. Those are the good guys or the bad guys? They're the bad guys, right? And the rest of our enemies that had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to the time I had not set the doors in the gate. So that's very significant. If you want underlined in your Bibles or on your, in your uh, bulletins there, through, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. What is that telling us? That he's just about done. But, is he, but he's not done, right? He's kind of right there. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can see the finish line. How many of you guys have run ran races before? I did a couple years ago, and I'll never, ever do it again, the Spartan race. All right? 
it was torture, man. I wasn't that much, you know, thinner than what I am now, so I was in a little bit better shape. But the Spartan race, and you get that to that point where it's like, oh, I'm finally finished. I can see it. People are like, you know, you kind of hear the crowd now, right? But, man, it's tough, that finish line, right? It's tough to cross that finish line. So Nehemiah is there. He's about 98%. The walls are up, and this is a big wall, but the doors are not set in yet. So he's not completely done. And what do you see here? Who pops up again? These bad guys. These bad guys pop up. We first heard of them in chapter 2, and we looked at that these are not just some random people, actually. They're some pretty significant people. Sam Black, Tobiah, guess These are governors of the land there. Okay, and that's significant, and we'll look at that later. And they, they were very upset, very from the, from the start. From the moment that Nehemiah set out to do what God has called him to do, they were there. Message for you and I is to realize this now. The moment you set out to do what God wants you to do, expect opposition. The enemies will be there. And the enemies we're going to look at can come up in different forms. Here, we look at physical people were his enemies. They came out, and they were there right from the very beginning to, 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 to stop Nehemiah. They were persistent. They were persistent. Chapter 2, we met them. Chapter 4, they came back. And now here we are at chapter 6, and they, Nehemiah is nearing the end, but the enemies are still there. We looked at 1 Peter 5. It's not your notes, 8, but we know what the, that says. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it says, be sober-minded. Right? Why? Because your enemy is like a lion that prowls around, seeking to devour. Now, I love to watch the animal kingdom. And all these episodes, and you, I love to watch the lions and how they are always out there, right? And, and a lion will not stop when it's hungry, right? A lion, they will, they will gather together, and, they, and they'll take down that big elephant because they're not, they're hungry. And so the enemy here is persistent. Our enemy will not stop. And so right from the start, brothers and sisters, we need to know that when you set out to start something, and we looked at starting, for many of us, starting can be a difficult thing, right? Because you can't finish something that you haven't started. But like me and Danny, he mentioned it earlier, I tend to be someone who I can start things, but it's that finishing. It's consistency for me that, that, that's my issue. And so we're looking at here, we got to realize that right from the beginning, enemies will be there, but we have a mission of God. We, we have an adversary. We're going to realize that and, and continue forward. So we start here with Nehemiah. He's nearing the finishing line. He's almost done, but he's not quite there. All right, for some of us, you've taken that first step. You've taken your first step. You've taken the next steps. But you're not quite there. And that's when you're going to realize that the opposition will come. As you see up here, the closer you get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. Isn't that true? The closer you get to doing what God wants done, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. Many times we're talking about here in First Peter, we're talking about a, a spiritual adversary, right? Our, Satan who's there, who's, who's really, who's waiting to devour you. Sometimes we have to remember that, 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 that our adversaries can come in the, into our lives. There are actual people that might come out against us. Some family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, boss. As I was looking at this and, and, and preparing this, something came to my mind. My biggest adversary, not necessarily with the spiritual or, or other people, but can very much many times be me, ourselves. Sometimes we are our biggest adversary. Sometimes we are the ones that, that when, it, when it, we're about to get done, that, that will come against ourselves, and we, we tell ourselves that we cannot do something. But we need to realize from the very beginning that, that that will happen. And so we see that Nehemiah is nearing the end, but he's not quite there. So, the, so his, his enemies are coming, and they're going to fight, 
even harder. Can you think of a time when you were close to completing a task, but you hit them with extreme opposition? I want to take this time to talk about life groups that are starting. Some of us have made that commitment, right? We, we put it on our calendar already. We said we're going to go. We signed up on the website, and we said we're going to go. But then what happens when, when, when that day comes? What, what could happen? Man, I know for me with kids, an argument starts happening in the car, right? Or, or, or they, they throw up, or I'm hungry, I got to use the bathroom, all that stuff, right? And all of a sudden, as you get closer to that goal, as you get closer to actually going to the life group, expect that things like that are going to happen. But we got to realize it from the very beginning. See, Nehemiah was almost there, but again, his enemies were coming. And what did they say, what, why did they come? In chapter 2, in verse 2, it says this. It says, Geshem sent me a message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. See, what is the enemy going to do? What is part of the enemy's scheme? Number one, the enemy will try to distract you. The enemy is going to try to distract you. And so how did the enemies of Nehemiah come to try to distract them? What did they say? They came and said, hey, come, let us meet together. Let us meet together where? In one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, before we go on, Nehemiah kind of, you know, again, these are not new enemies. They, they were here around, and they, he knows what they're up to. And now they tell him, come, let, let's meet together. And where they tell him to meet? At a place called Ono. Like, right off the back, if you, like, are, are hinting at maybe, should I, should I not? Is this of God or not? And then they tell you, come, let's meet at the coffee shop called Ono. God, God is speaking to you right there. Right? Oh, no. Like, no, I, I, I'm not going there. But anyway, um, just a little side note. But our, our, our bad guys here are doing anything to distract Nehemiah. They want to distract him, and they want to call him to this place called Oh No, to meet together. Something about the geography of Oh No. If you look up Oh No, where Oh No is, it's actually located in the northwestern corner of Judah, as far as from the safety of Jerusalem as possible without leaving the country. Why is this significant? If you're, if they're, they're enemies, and they're calling you to the very furthest part of the land, again, called Oh No, probably not good news, right? They probably want to take you as far away from the people that will probably protect you as your leader so that they can do what? Bring harm to you. And that's exactly what Nehemiah realized right off the bat, that they were out to harm him. They were out, and some uh, commentaries said that they actually wanted to murder him. This was the murder plot here. They wanted him to come out to the land, distract him so that they can kill him right there. But I love, I love it. I love that, 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 that God's word kind of puts it out there and it says, come let us meet together. This is so casual. Right? Just so, no big deal. At the end of the day, too, I mean, aren't we supposed to gather with people and, and be communal and, and, and eat together and all that stuff that we talked about and all in? And so it kind of seems so very casual. And I want to point this out, and I want to do it because I think it's, it's important to note that sometimes our biggest distractions present themselves as being actually really minor. Right? Sometimes it's the distractions that present, present themselves as being minor that really become our big distractions. So come, come, let us meet together. What's the big deal? Come. Seems like something, hey, why not? But Nehemiah realized right off the back that that can be something that will stop the work that God has called him to. For you and I, we have to realize that sometimes it's our minor distractions that really will bring us to, to complete stop of what God has called us to do. I like uh, uh, another TV show I usually watch a lot is uh, Fixer Up. Anyone familiar with the show? With Chip and Joanna? Chip and Joanna, well, basically, they're home builders, and, and Chip is the husband, and he's the guy who, he's the construction guy. He's the one who's putting the houses together, and Joanna is the, 
She's the brains behind it. Usually, typically, that's how it works. The girl and the, you know, the, guy, the wife is the one who, who's like the mastermind, and she puts together the plans. And Chip is the one who kind of puts it together. Um, and so normally, at, at every episode, they go to, after she has a plan, she'll go, they'll go to a day to the antique shop. And on, at the antique shop, Joanna has the plans already. She has the vision. She knows where she's going. She knows how she wants the house to look. And so they're going with a specific purpose. And the purpose is to probably pick up, you know, some type of, you know, couches or, or light fixtures. And she knows what they're going for. And she'll always make the mistake. And this is obviously for television. But she'll always make the mistake of bringing Chip along with her. And now Chip, when he goes into this antique shop, he's all over the place. He's like picking up the chainsaw. He's picking up, ooh, look at this chair, honey. And he's swinging over here and always embarrassing her. Why do I bring that up? For many of us, I mean, the, the small distractions in our lives, maybe we're like Chip and we'll do one thing here and we'll do another thing here. And we never quite finish what we're, what we're called to do because we have because a, lot of, a lot of those small distractions to get in our way. For some of us, what is another distraction? Facebook, right? You're starting your Bible plan. Or you want to start your Bible plan. And you wake up in the morning. For many of us, our phones, like me, is your alarm clock. And so you have it set right from the beginning. I'm going to read my Bible as soon as I wake up. And your alarm goes off. You pick up your phone. And where are you first? I check my wall. Right? And so Facebook, what could be such a minor distractions, all of a sudden, time goes by. You're not able to do your Bible plan at that time because you got to get ready for work. So what seems like those minor distractions become something really big. For, a, for some of us, it's sports. We compromise on going to church. We compromise on, on going to an event because a, a sporting event, our favorite team is playing. Now, this one is big, especially for leaders in the church. Sometimes it's church needs or ministry needs that become a distraction. See, our mission, and yesterday we, we had our all-in team night, and it was a great time. And the point of the all-in team night was to refocus ourselves. Why do we need to do this as a church? Because so many times we can get distracted even within church even within the ministry needs. And, and we can become all over the place. We can start putting out fires here. You know, there's so much, so many needs within the church. But we got to refocus on what the mission is. And our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It is so easy to attend to the immediate thing, to attend to, to what needs to be put out, the fires that need to be put out. Whoever's making the most noise, right, we want to we wanna go to that. But we have to attend to what's truly important. So how do we counter this attack? Nehemiah, how did he counter this attack? Put this down in your notes. He says, I'm not coming down. Chapter 3, he says this. He says, so I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So he realizes that the, 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 the point of the, why they're calling him to meet was to harm him. And so he sends this reply and he says, I am carrying on a great project. And I cannot go down. Underline that I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Again, remember who he's talking to. These are big shots, right? This is Nehemiah's possible opportunity to finally get some recognition. The governors are calling him to meet one-on-one with them. But he knows what God has called him to do. He recognizes it right away. And he says, I'm carrying on too great of a project. And I cannot go down. No one can stop you from obeying your God. Amen? No one can stop you from obeying your God. For all of us, we know that God has called us to become holy. God's will is for our sanctification. It just means that God wants us to grow, to be more like him. That's all that means. And I'm telling you right now, 
The enemy will do anything to stop you. But your response needs to be, I am not coming down. I am not coming down. Think of whatever it is today that you know God has placed in your heart to pursue. Think of it now. Think of the challenges that you have endured. Think of the challenges that might be coming your way. And make that decision now and say, I am not coming down. How do you uh, combat the enemy's first uh, scheme of trying to distract you? I am not coming down. I am not coming down. Four times the enemy comes at him. Four times. We know that in chapter in verse 4. Four times they sent them the same message. And what does Nehemiah do? He gives them the same reply. I love that. The enemy, again, is going to continue to go at you. So how are you going to finish this? He, you're nearing the finish line, and he's coming, and he's coming. But you're going to continue to respond, I am not coming down. No matter how hard the enemy is pushing, I am not coming down. Our enemy will not quit. He will not quit until he has you in your grips. And when we realize that, man, that could bring a lot of fear in your heart. I know for me, man, the enemy's out to get me. A lot, for a lot of us, that right there is going to cause us to stop. Jesus knew that, and he tells us in John 14, he says, don't, don't be discouraged. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Take courage. In fact, we know that Jesus went through the same temptations, right? Saying in the wilderness, kept going at him more than once, right, to try to get Jesus to back down and to bow down to him. No matter how consistent our enemies are, the more we need to push back and continue to say, I'm not coming down, knowing the, the calling that God has placed on your life. Knowing the calling that God has placed in your life. So to recap, we know that as we near the finish line, our enemy will fight all the harder. We know that one of the ways he will try to stop us is to distract us with evil schemes to bring us harm. Secondly, how would our enemy try to distract us? He will try also to discredit you. Your enemy, number two, will try to discredit you. He will try to discredit you. How is he going to do that? Then the fifth time, Sambalat, the fifth time, number five, Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gesem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. What is happening there? What is the enemy doing right there? He is spreading a big fat lie. A big fat lie. So how is our enemy going to try to discredit you? He's going to try to spread rumors about you. How many of you like rumors like so nasty? Things are getting ugly here. So we had the murder plot. Now that didn't work. Right? Uh, Nehemiah didn't fall for that. And so we're going to just, we're going to tarnish your name. We're going to spread rumors. I want you in, is it written in your notes? I think chapter five is, if not, in your Bibles or when you get home. What's key here? Not what, the letter, how was it handed? It says it was unsealed. Now that's not typical. Normally when you send a letter, it will always be sealed so that you can read it in private. This is like Facebook wall right here. Right? This is, this is ugly. This is a Facebook relationship war. How many of you guys come across that on Facebook and you just like, ooh, it's getting ugly. You know, they're, they're going back and forth on Facebook and it's there for everyone. And it gets worse. What does he do? It says, and Geshem says it's true. That's like on Facebook where you tag the person in the comment. Right? He's tagging now his friend so his friend can come on and jump on you as well. Things are getting ugly. All right? What is the enemy trying to do? He's spreading this rumor. But is it true? 
we know it's a false rumor. See, Danny mentioned last week that sticks and bones may uh, break, my, break, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know that that's not true, right? Words hurt. Rumors hurt. Naturally, what would we want to do if someone spreads a false rumor against us? We're going to come back and we're going to try to attack that person right back, right? Naturally, in our flesh, that's what we want to do in the flesh. We want to get back. But I, I want to look at what Nehemiah says. Before we go to what Nehemiah, actually, what is he attacking here? He's attacking Nehemiah's reputation. That jumped out to me. And I want to bring it out to you guys. His reputation here is on the line. The Bible calls us to be above reproach. And what does that mean? Reproach means to be blameless. All right? To be above reproach just simply means such that no criticism can be made to you. All right? It doesn't mean that you're without sin, but does mean that fault, that, 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 you're free from sinful habits or behavior. So the Bible is saying we are called to be above reproach so that when, when negative things are said about us, right away people can, really, I don't know, I know this person. That, that's not, this can't be legitimate, can't be true. No one can legitimately rebuke you or make any charges against you that you will stick, that will stick. Right? They can accuse you, but they're, they're, what they're accusing of will never stick. That's what the Bible is calling us to do, to be above reproach. See, Nehemiah, knew Nehemiah had a reputation. The people knew his loyalty. He had many opportunities to 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 claim fame, to many opportunities to to back down, but he's always fought those 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 oppositions. And so now when this false rumor comes about, he doesn't have to defend himself. Right? What does he do? He says right off the back in verse um and in verse eight he sends a quick reply and he says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are making it all out of your head. They're all just trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get weak, too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. Nehemiah didn't go out and, and, and get in a Facebook war with the enemy. He didn't do that. He simply squashed the rumor right there. And then he goes on, he says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. I prayed, now strengthen my hands. See, this rumor was out there to, to ruin Nehemiah. And it was a pretty good rumor. I mean, had Nehemiah gone to Ono too, it would have strengthened his rumors a whole lot. All right, Ono, remember, was so far away. Now, let's imagine if, if Nehemiah did go to Ono, and now this rumor comes out there. It would kind of, it would have definitely made this rumor seem more realistic, right? Here's Nehemiah. Why are people going to start to wonder, why did he go out to Ono? Why did he travel that way? Easier part to, to actually recruit people to revolt against the king. So this is all an evil, nasty plan. This is not something that was just thrown out of nowhere. The enemy was there, and the enemy was out there to destroy him. But Nehemiah was quick. He says, what you're saying is not true. And he prayed. I love that Nehemiah, something we can learn from that. Nehemiah sends up simple and quick prayers. He sends up simple and quick prayers. So number one, how is the enemy going to try to uh, discredit you? By spreading rumors. Number two, by tempting you to compromise. By tempting you to compromise. Got that? Let's go on in our story here. Nehemiah 6, chapter 10. On one day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah. And this, we'll look at who that person is. It says, son of Meteba. Uh, she said, let us meet. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. Skipping verse 11. We'll go back to that later. 
Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. The enemy will try to discredit you by spreading rumors and by tempting to, to, for you to compromise. How is this a compromise? Shemaiah is actually a supposed pr- prophet. Now, he doesn't have uh, uh, much backing. Not, not many people really uh, run to Shemaiah as, as a prophet. But he, supposedly he's a prophet and possibly a priest. Why do we know he's possibly a priest? He has access to the temple. All right, so this is a man of God, supposedly a man of God, that's coming to Nehemiah and saying, hey, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you at night. Come to the temple. Let's go there. Let's close the doors to the temple. This is important, brothers and sisters. See, this person was supposedly a man of God. But why did Nehemiah not fall for it? Looked at this in week one. I'm going to bring it up again. Nehemiah had a divine burden, right? He knew what God has called him. He knew that God has spoken to him. He was a praying man. He was a praying man. Brothers and sisters, as you're nearing the finishing line, the more so that we should be praying. Never, ever lose that. Prayer and fasting. Prayer needs to be a priority in our lives. See, Nehemiah was a praying man. Nehemiah had such a deep burden, a relationship with God. He knew what the Father had called him to. And so even so, when a man of God came to him and told him to do something that he knew was wrong, right, because the Bible told him so, you can't go into the temple. Nehemiah knew right away. Why did he know that right away? Because he had his own relationship with God. He was in the word. He knew what God has called him to, and it stuck out. You see, sometimes we're going to be challenged even by fellow brothers and sisters who might have good hearts, who may, may not, who's just there to harm us, and tell us to do something that we know is against God's word. We're not going to compromise ever as a church, and as, 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 as Christians, to the word of God. Amen? Stay close to the word of God. Know what God has called. Know what the word says. So that whenever anyone says anything that you know is against God's word, you're not obeying them, but you're obeying God. Our, our, our purpose, our, our calling is not to obey man, it's to obey God, right? And so we as people need to recognize when, uh, when we're even being tempted to compromise what God's word says. And so Nehemiah knew right away, this guy's telling me to go into the temple. I'm not a priest. God says, I should not, I cannot enter that. I don't have, I can't do that. And so right away, he knew that, man, you're not really of God. In fact, I know that you were hired to, to, again, to discredit me so that I can compromise, so that I can look bad. Nehemiah knew that work that God has called him to, and he knew God's word, and he knew what, what he was called to do. And so he also, he would not fall for that. Brothers and sisters, let's not fall and to, to, to being called to compromise against what God has called us to do. Not only that, Nehemiah says, I love that he says this. He says, the guy says, they're coming out to kill you, right? Nehemiah says what in verse 11? You guys have that. Verse 11, he says, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Nehemiah didn't put his safety first, but he put what God has called him to do first. See, Nehemiah was the leader. How would it have looked if the leader went into hiding, right? How would that have looked to the people? Your leader, where is he? He's gone. He's hiding in the temple. Not a good look, right? If Danny one day shows up, we show up on a Sunday, and Danny's not here. It's like, where's Danny? 
I don't know, he got scared. He didn't want to show up to Easter Sunday service. He didn't know what to expect. <laughs> and I'm up here, and you guys, are, that, that would discourage us. That would probably put a stop to it. I mean, hopefully not, but it, the, the possibility of the people, of us giving up. If our leader has given up, if our leader's fearing for his life, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we? We've been following him. See, Nehemiah knew right off the back that I'm, I know, God, God, God has called me to do something. Now, God will protect me. See, God has called you to do something. God will provide for you. God is, con- not, is concerned about our well-being. All right? The priest here is bringing up safety, and they're going to get kill you and so forth. You know? Nehemiah knew that, hey, listen, my God is going to protect me. My God is going to protect me. But he also understood this. He understood that while God doesn't want to bring us harm in our lives, our convenience, our safety, our comfort, is not the primary will of God. In fact, we are called to pick up our cross. Right? We are called to lay down our lives. We are called to become strangers to this world. We are called to leave behind our own selfish ambitions. We are called to die to ourselves, to put others before ourselves, to love unlike the world has ever seen, to go down the path least traveled. That's all we're called to do. And so while Nehemiah was told, they're going to kill you, come to safety. When we're doing God's work, there'll be many opportunities probably to say, hey, you know, look out for yourself, something, you know. Know that God, is, things are not always going to be easy. But God has not called us to the easy task. We're called to spread the gospel. We're called to bring people to him. We're called to, to lay down our lives. And so we're going to respond as Nehemiah responded. He says, I will not go. Let our response be just as Nehemiah, I will not go. I am not giving up. I am not giving up. Don't compromise. Let your response be, I am not giving up. Focus, stay focused on what God has called you until you have completed the task or you know that God has called you to to move on. Do not give up. Do not give up. Lastly, in in the very end, we know that, uh, uh, I love the way it ends. I'm not sure if we have it in the, but I'm going to read it. It's fine. I love that it ends with this. It says, when all our enemies, after Nehemiah, did not compromise, he did not fall to the t- uh, temptations. He did not uh, fall for what the, the enemies were throwing at him. He says, when all our enemies heard about this in chapter, chap- uh, verse 16, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their conf- self-confidence because what? They realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. What we're doing is for something greater, for someone greater than ourselves. All the glory is given to not ourselves, but to the Lord. We don't give up because we know that Christ has brought us with a price. We don't give up because we know that the work has, that we've been called to do is part of God's great work of redeeming people to himself. We're ending our series in chapter 6 as Nehemiah builds the wall in 52 days. But if you go on and flip your Bible or scroll down, it goes on. Nehemiah is not done. All right, his next steps, God is now working not only just on the wall of the, the, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, but he wants to work in the walls of our lives. And if you're here today, God wants to work in your life. He's not, he's calling you to a greater purpose. He's, his calling, his desire is to redeem you and I, to bring us into a relationship with him, to bring us into a relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, we're going to finish strong because we know that Jesus has finished it. Jesus had paid, has paid the full price. Nehemiah's job did not end with the war. It did not end with the temple, with all the sacrifices that are being restored. But he is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is our final atonement of our sins. Jesus calls. Jesus has paid the full price. 
Jesus has. And I want to end with uh, a prayer. Today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. How many of you guys seen uh, all the people with all the palms and neatly decorated? I, I've never been able to do the cross thing. But I want to end with a, uh, a prayer for Palm Sunday. And I think it's a good way to end, actually, this series. So if you can, um, close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to read this prayer. Father, on this Palm Sunday evening, we're overwhelmed with your humility, with your sovereignty, with your generosity. What other king could conquer war horses and warriors by riding the foil of a donkey? What other king could break the battle bow and the backbone of all warfare by the brokenness of the cross? What other king could ever replace all politics of tyranny and power with the dominion and reign of peace everywhere and forever? Only you, Lord Jesus, only you. What other king would offer his life and death for the redemption and restoration of rebels, of fools, and idolaters like us? What other king could possibly make prisoners of sin and death and waterless pits into prisoners of hope? Only you, Lord Jesus, only you. There is no other such king. Who is the king of glory? It is you, Lord Jesus, and only you. Who is the king of grace? It is you, Lord Jesus, and only you. Who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords? It is you, Lord Jesus, and only you. Father, this evening I join my brothers and sisters today in rejoicing greatly, for you have come to us righteous and victorious. Our hosannas are filled with the sobering and gladdening news of the Holy Week. Lead us now, Father, each day into a transforming gaze of your cross. Help us, Father. May your cross and your crown continue to free us from all other imprisonments so that we may live as prisoners of hope and agents of redemption until the day you return to finish making all things new. May that, may that day be soon. May that blessed day be real soon. So amen, Father. Amen, we pray in Jesus' name.